It's Philosophy Talk. I love you. And not, not in a friendly way. What is love? Although I think we're great friends. And not in a misplaced affection puppy dog way. Although I'm sure that's what you'll call it. I love you. Do you love her because she's lovable? Or is she lovable because you love her? I think it's a false dilemma to say there is this evolutionary explanation of love, therefore that's all it's about and it can't make us happy or something like that. We have these capacities to love that can make us happy. Now, are they guaranteed to? No. Love is that condition in which the happiness of another person is essential to your own. It does connect you with other people in that way. Love is the cure for solipsism. Our guest is philosopher and poet Troy Jollimore, author of Love's Vision. I think there's more to love than just the feeling, and I do think there's more to love than just the emotion. Recorded live at the Mill Valley Public Library. What is love? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. This is Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the Mill Valley Public Library, just north of San Francisco. The library is celebrating 100 years as this community's intellectual center. Our thinking originates at Stanford University at Philosopher's Corner on that lovely campus. That's about an hour and a half south of here. And at Stanford, Ken and I are both professors of philosophy. Welcome, everyone, to Philosophy Talk. Today, we're asking, what is love? Ken, you're in love. I'm in love. Most people are in love or have been in love or will be in love. There have been countless great movies about love, poems about love, stories about love, songs about love. So you'd think we'd all know what love is, but we don't seem to. For every book that's been written uh, with a love story, somebody has written a song about not knowing what love is, the mysteries of love. As Cole Porter famously asked, what is this thing called love? Now, love is often portrayed as a powerful force, something that can inspire greatness in the lover and the beloved. Or something that can make you act like a fool. Love can be the greatest feeling in the world, but it can also be absolutely devastating when it doesn't work out. There are zillions of songs about love and heartbreak and loss, and if you listen to those songs, John, you might wonder why we ever love at all. Well, yeah, I mean, love makes people do all kinds of crazy things. It leads to lots of heartache and pain. Basically, from a philosophical point of view, it seems like a completely irrational emotion. I grant you, John, that love can sometimes be irrational, but love has its reasons, too. I mean, look, take my wife. There are all kinds of cool things about my wife. She's kind, she's intelligent, she's beautiful, she's funny, she laughs at my joke. And those give me reasons to love her. On the other hand, if I love somebody who is mean and stupid and boring and wouldn't laugh at my jokes, well, that would be irrational. But so look, I have lots of great reasons for loving my wife, which right there, QED shows that love is sometimes rational. Isn't your wife a librarian? She is indeed. (laughs) Well, there's there's a big reason right there. But still, I wonder, Ken, do you really love your wife for those reasons? I mean, sure, those are all good things, but... Wasn't it more like this? You fell in love with Claire, and then you came up 
with these reasons to justify our emotion? I, I guess it's kind of a chicken and egg question. Do we love first and then find reasons to justify it? Or do we see the reasons first and then talk ourselves into falling in love? Oh, you know, it's kind of tricky. Anybody who, look, imagine somebody says, okay, should I love her or should I not? Okay, on the one hand, she's X, Y, Z, and, you know, on the other hand, these are the reasons not to love her. You might think, well, that sounds more like choosing a mule than choosing a partner. That's kind of code and calculate. I would not call that love. It paints a picture that just doesn't fit with experience. And we don't rationally deliberate and decide who to love and then work on falling in love. That's, for most people, that's just not how the experience goes. Uh, on the other hand, look, I told you all those good qualities about my wife, Claire, and those qualities make sense of my loving her. So uh, even if I didn't decide to love her, it makes sense. It makes rational sense that I love her. So there's at least a kind of rationality to love, don't you think? Well, I don't doubt that love has causes and that a person's particular qualities are part of the cause of why some other person comes to love that person. But I don't think it follows that love is rational. I mean, an avalanche has causes too, or an earthquake. And those causes can explain why it happened, but that doesn't make an avalanche rational. You know, okay, I take your point. You know, that shows we've got a lot to talk about here. Love's a complicated thing. What exactly is it? Why do we love? Are we just caused to love, or do we have reasons to love? Do we decide to love, or does it, or does it just happen to us? Is it ever rational? Maybe. Would we be better off without it sometimes? And, and we've just been talking about romantic love. There's all kinds of other love. You can, you can love your friends, your children, your country your local library. You can also love abstract things like justice, beauty, truth, wisdom. Which raises even more questions, John. All those different forms of love that you just talked about, is there something they have in common? And which kind of love contributes most to a well-lived life? We sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch, in search of some truly epic love stories. And she came back and files this report. What is love? Here are two real-life love stories, one of love found, the other of love lost. At first glance, Peter Libby and Mary Lekineski seem like opposites. She's tiny, he's hulking. Mary says they were immediately drawn to each other, and things were going really well for a while. Romantic, serious, my daughter was going to go to college, what were we going to do next? Um, we were enjoying each other's company, um, and then... Uh, this is the part I'm going to start crying. And then in January, Peter's heart burst. His aorta tore from his heart to his left leg. As he was losing consciousness, he made a phone call, not for an ambulance, but to Mary. Peter could feel his life ebbing. He knew he was dying. Mary went to his house right away. He collapsed. She called 911. At the hospital, the first priority was to keep him alive and repair his aorta, then to try to save his left leg. Then will he wake up? because he had been iced and out. And if he wakes up, what cognitive function will he have? It was grim. Peter's heart stopped for 54 minutes. After hours of surgery and against all odds, he woke up. And in those first few moments, he didn't know he had died. You couldn't tell by looking at me, but I was really, I was happy. I was happy to see, I was happy to see Mary. It would be a slow recovery, and being uninsured, Peter would accumulate more than $800,000 in medical debt. He told Mary to leave him. I said, you didn't sign up for this. You didn't sign up for a guy that is broken. But of course, she didn't leave. 
and several months later, they were married. Dying and coming back, it made me think, okay, what's important? And the most important thing in, in the world to me is Mary. There's nothing that even comes close. I came back from the dead to be with her. On a trip to Chile in 2008, Amber Nelson met her fiancé, Adolfo Ignacio Celedon Bravo, or Fito as he's called. She hardly spoke Spanish, his English was terrible. They communicated through gesture. They ended up traveling through South America together. She remembers one drive in particular. I asked him to pull over and there's this just perfect little outlet to the lake and the lake was so big it looked almost like the ocean and the sun was just setting and both of us just tore off our clothes and went jumped in the lake. She was supposed to stay for just a few weeks, but ended up staying for nine months. I don't think I will ever reach that amount of happiness, active happiness of living right there in the moment again. Eventually, Amber returned to the U.S. Despite the distance, their commitment grew. Amber describes it as a consuming, important love. Time passed, they got engaged. More time passed, Fito moved to Berkeley to be with Amber. The night before Fito's 35th birthday, Amber threw him a party. She took him out dancing, and they walked home in the pre-dawn hours. They kissed. Even as we were having that kiss, I said to myself, this is the best kiss we've ever had. And it ended up being our last. That night, Amber and Fito were robbed at gunpoint. He was shot and killed. You know, I, I guess he's, he's gone, but, but we were so in love. Like, but it was so good. But it was, you know, there, we were so happy as if that was supposed to somehow negate the fact that he was gone, as if it was supposed to somehow not make it true. I asked her if she thinks she'll ever love like that again. No, no, never. Nope, that's impossible, I think. Well, and then he, he taught me, todo es posible, everything is possible. No love is anything but temporary. And even if it's the truest of true, the deepest of deepest love, it's inherently temporary. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.